Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, looking out over the audience, I can tell y'all are too young to remember Sesame Street. <laughs> if this were a Sesame Street episode, a Sesame Street episode, I, I would start it out with today's talk is brought to you by the letter S. <laughs> you, you, we're in a series called Secret Life. And the thing about it is, when we think about secret life, we, we, it makes us think about another S word. I mean, it could be that when you heard I was going to be talking about secret life, it might have caused you to feel a little bit of shame or a little concern because you thought, well, we're going to get to church and, and Mark is going to talk about the secrets, the dark secrets of my life. And we, we have talked about dealing with our dark side for the first three weeks of this series. But today we're going to flip the script. I mean, the thing about it is when we talk about secret, the word secret in secret life, it makes us think about the S word shame. But as I said, we're flipping the script today. In fact, the title of today's message is called Flip the Script. We all know what that means, I mean, sort of culturally, but one of the things, I have ADD, and, and uh, I, I, my mind just goes in strange patterns, so a lot of times when I'm using an expression that I know the meaning of, I want to just check out what the official description or the definition of the term is. So I looked it up. I looked up flipping the script, and I found that it was so cool, I just had to share it with you today. Because here's the official definition of flipping the script. It means to change the game by doing something unexpected or revolutionary. That's a, that's a perfect definition for today's talk because instead of the secret life that leads to shame, we're going we're gonna, to think of it as if you came in today thinking, oh, no, Mark's going to talk about secret life, so I'm just going to take a deep breath for 30 minutes and listen to him talk about my dark side. Well, we're going to do something unexpected today. And on top of that, I, I don't think I have ever brought a talk in all of my years that was more revolutionary than this one. And I know because I brought it to, uh, the first time I brought this talk was Tuesday night during the worship experience. Austin knew what I was going to speak on. And he said, Mark, will you come? And they, they just stopped practice and said, Mark, I want you to speak into our worship team. You know, I've, I've delivered it several times here at New Spring. And what I've, what I've heard back, I mean, what, what keeps pouring back to me, I mean, I got messages in between the service today where people wrote this. This is rebel. It could be the most revolutionary thing I've ever taught in, my, in all my years. Because this is the secret life you want. This is the good secret life. I mean, what if the S word for secret wasn't shame? What if it was another S word? What if, it was, what if it, the, the secret life was about success? I mean, we all want to be a success, and I don't mean by that we want to be rich and famous. We just want our life to matter. We want our life to count. I mean, what if this secret life led to success? And like I said, y'all are, if you're too young to know what Sesame Street is, I know you're too young to know who I'm going to talk about now because I'm giving away my old age. There was a, a, a big rock band in the 60s and 70s called the Rolling Stones. And I'm looking out there at you 20-year-olds going, <laughs> unless you're into classic rock. I mean, they're still around. I mean, you know, when, 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 I was, when I was a kid in the 70s, they were like, 
they were like, well, what was the word we used back? They were groovy. Um, <laughs> today, today, the adjective that would be used to describe Jagger and Richards would be arthritic. <laughs> I like, I'm like watching Keith Richards play and I'm like, is he really alive or are they just holding him up? <laughs> When I was a kid, they had a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And you know, I'm not, not, not endorsing the stones. I just think there was a message there. I think there was a truth there because in our Western world, we're so accustomed with junk and stuff and all the things that get advertised and all the cool stuff and technology, but yet people don't have satisfaction. What if this secret life could lead to another S word, satisfaction? What if it led to the word Serenity. See, most of the time we have a negative connotation associated with the secret life because what we're typically talking about is stuff that we're hiding, that we're embarrassed by or ashamed of, and we don't want anyone else to see. But what if it was a different kind of hiding? What if it was a good kind of hiding? What if it meant, here's our S word, solitude? What if the secret life was solitude? Solitude's rare today. Most of us don't have any margin. The, the age that we live in. When I think about my great grandparents, you know, the, the, they were farmers. I mean, America used to be an ag- agrarian culture. And, you know, <laughs> my great grandparents didn't have electricity, but th- they, had, they had space, they had solitude in their lives. And then in my parents' generation, along came television, and television began to encroach on that, on that solitude that we had. Hey, Today, in our information age, in our digital age, we don't have any margin at all. I, I pointed to my watch. I, I didn't wear my Apple watch today, but I, you know, I have a watch on my wrist that tells me all kind of stuff that I'm either not doing right or should do right. And I'm always getting messages. I mean, I have iPhones, iPads, you know. I get all this stuff, and what I discover is I never have time where I can just stop and But what if there was some kind of secret life that would flip the script? Something that would not make me feel shame, but here's the last S word. What if it made me feel strong? What if there was a secret life that would give me success and solitude and strength? This has always been the message of the series. In the old days, I used to say, (laughs) the staff used to kid me about Hooverisms. Because I would say stuff all the time, you know, like I wish I knew how to preach and things like that. And they actually wanted to make a shirt for the bookstore with all the, all the stuff that I say. But, but I used to say this and I quit saying it because everybody would kid me about it. I used to say I'm sitting on dynamite. What I meant by what I'm about to say is so huge. You know, I don't say that anymore, but it, I'll say it today. I'm sitting on dynamite. This is always the message. Of it. it's, it's the message that caused me to do this series. Well, let me follow a flight plan with you. We're going to ultimately get to a particular psalm that's going to tell us about this kind of secret life. It's Psalm 91. And if you want to go there now, that's fine. If you have a a hard copy Bible, if you have an electronic copy, I'm going to get there. But before I go there, I want to go to the words of Jesus because he's the ultimate expert. And Jesus is going to coach us up about the kind of life that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to go slow. You know, a lot of times we read the Bible, we just sort of scan through it and we'll miss important things. So we're going to take one verse that Jesus spoke. And we're going to really own it. Here we go. Matthew 6. Uh Uh-oh. 
There are some Bible students here, and you know instantly what this is. There, is, there aren't too many sermons that Jesus preached in the Bible. There's the Olivet Discourse that I talked about in the Look Up series in January on prophecy. But the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever to preach is a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who that term is familiar with, it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So consequently, when I say Matthew 6, you know I'm going to go right to the heart of Jesus' great sermon. So let's, let's look at it. Verse 5. But as for you... Well, what's he referring to? He just told his audience, don't be hypocrites. He knew they weren't hypocrites. They were serious. They were there to hear him. So Jesus said, this is what the hypocrites do. But as for you, when you are praying, enter into your secret, there's our word, enter into your secret and well-guarded place. And some of your Bible students, and you're looking for a particular word because your translation, most translations will have the word closet. That's how I memorized it. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet. Well, I've got friends who take that very literally, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking it literally, but I think Jesus had way broader meaning than this. In fact, Jesus didn't mean closet like we have closet. We Kansans know what that's what, what he really meant because we have basements, and because we have basements, we typically have storage rooms. That's what he said. Go into your storage room. Why? Well, work with me for a second. Do you expect anybody to be in your storage room when you go down there? This is not a place where people go. That's, what Jesus, that's all Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, you need a place where you can be alone. So go to your place where you're alone. Okay, that's not too hard. I bet we could do that. I bet we could find a place where we could be alone. Even if it's out in, our, in a field somewhere or in our car. That's not hard. Here's what's hard. He said, when you have closed your door. Now, again, I don't think he means literal door. I think our generation understands what Jesus meant better than anybody else. He said, go to the place where you can be alone. And then he said, close the door on every other message. That means turn off the television, turn off, you know, all your electronic devices, Somewhere where you're not being interrupted. You know, for years, Marianne would say to me, Mark, can we go out to eat? And, and she, did, she, would, she would tell me this. She'd say, you know, I really don't care about the meal at all. She said, I just want all your attention. And she said, when I sit across from you at a table, I know I've got all your attention. Let me ask you a question. Do, you, do we understand that God wants our attention? He loves you. He loves you so much. He wants wants your your attention. Let me ask you, this will help you understand. Have you ever been at a table, maybe in a restaurant, with the person you love the most? And you're sitting there, and he mindlessly takes out his cell phone and starts checking the cell phone. And you're trying to look in his eyes, and he's on his phone. How does that make you feel? We don't say anything because culturally it's just part of our world. How does it make you feel when the person you love most will not close the door and shut off the electronic device? 
And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if you want this secret kind of life, this secret life, and I'm going to say this over and over, there's a whole ton of promises he's about to make. He's a lot of offers he's going to make to the person who will do this, but you got to close your door. I think a lot of times we're so accustomed to have nonstop voices 24 hours a day, we don't even know what it's like to close the door anymore. I, I, I have a there's a little restaurant close to here that I like. I love Korean food. It's a great restaurant. I, there are days when just, you know, I have to get lunch on the run. And there's a sweet couple that owns this place. And, you know, typically I'm working on something while I'm eating. And so there's actually a little, there's actually a little table in kind of a corner. And the, the lady who co-owns it, she knows, she'll just send me back to that table. And, and she knows what I like. And they'll start the meal. And so I was having one of those days where I had to kind of rush and grab lunch real fast. And I looked up. The, and there was a sweet couple who had a little boy about six years old. And they were sitting a couple tables away from me. And it wasn't even a school day, so I thought, this is a rare day. They have their little boy with them. Oh, excuse me, it was a school day, so I thought, well, it's unusual that they have their little boy. And I looked at the dad. He got out his smartphone and started checking it, and his mom got out her smartphone, and she was checking it, and the adults were sitting at the table checking their phones. And I looked at this little six-year-old boy. He just sort of stared up in the sky. And I thought, the problem with this couple is they're looking at stuff that isn't going to be important. And their little boys there, and time, parents, time was passing. They had a moment they would never recapture again. So many of us, we don't just use technology, we're addicted to it. I think if, we're, sometimes we're like an alcoholic that said, oh, I can take it or leave it, and, and, and yet he's an alcoholic, he's addicted to it. And I really think in a lot of cases, that's how we are with technology. We think that we use technology, but technology is using us. Jesus said, listen, this kind of life is available. And I'm telling you, when I, you're going to see it in just a few moments. There are so many promises associated with this. It's huge. But Jesus is saying, you've got to go to your place where you're all by yourself, and you've got to close the door. And then he, he, here's the first promise. He said, pray to your father in secret. Now, for all of you who are English majors, <laughs> the subject of that sentence is you understood, or the subject of that clause is you understood. He's basically saying, you pray in secret. Why do I stress that? Because look at the next statement. And your father who sees in secret. This time it's God who is in secret. In effect, God can do something that we can't do. I mean, we can only give our attention to one person at one time, but God's God. And basically what God is saying is, Mark, if you will go into your secret place and you'll close the door and you will talk to me in secret, God is like, you will have my entire attention. In other words, you and God are in the closet. You need this secret life. You and I really need this kind of secret life. Because there are things you can't share with anybody but God. You have anxieties, you have fears, you have dreams. You can't tell anybody but God. See, I'm, like, I'm sure I'm like you. I'm pretty transparent, so I could be talking to total strangers, and I'm pretty transparent. But there are things I don't share with strangers. I have a lot of friends. And there are things that I share with most of my friends. 
And then there are things I only share with my closest friends. You saw Dan Kubish on stage a few moments ago. Dan, Dan has worked with me for over 30 years. We're not just co-workers. We're like brothers. And, and so, you know, there are times when I'll just come in, I'm having a stressful day, and I may walk into Dan's office, and I'll share things with Dan that I might not share with most people. Same thing, Billy Poor is my executive pastor. He came to the office in between services. Billy and I have worked together for decades. And so, so many times I've just sat down with Billy and said, Billy, this is what's, got, it's what's on my mind. But then there are things I only share with my family. I mean, my sons. And then, of course, the person who knows me best, Mary Alice. There are things I've shared with Mary Alice I've never shared with another human. I might just be going through a time of great anxiety. We may be having Bible study, and I just look over at Mary Alice and say, babe, this is, this is really getting to me. I wouldn't share that with anybody else in the world, but I would share it with Mary Alice. But I'm going to be honest with you. There are things deep, deep, deep in me that I can't share with anybody else. You know what? Those things typically tend to be things I can't even put into words. I've told you over and over. I think the most intimate prayer is that prayer when you're going through something you can't even put into words and you just say, God, you know. There are times when I pray and I say, God, you see what I see. You need this secret life. Because some things are just between you and God. We're going to go on a trip for a few minutes. I want to take you through this 91st Psalm because here's the thing. This 91st Psalm is all about the secret life and the promises that are available in the secret life. This is about what you can expect in the secret place. But time out for a moment. This is not for every Christ follower. Just because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can't claim these promises. This, this promise is for, a certain, this, this is for a certain person. And we're going to talk about that. Here we go. We're going, to, we're going to walk through some of these verses, and we're going to slow down. There are times when I'm just going to focus on one word because I want you to own this, and I want it to be part of your spiritual DNA. Here we go. Psalm 91, verse 1. He or she who dwells in the... Here's, here's, our, here's our sermon. Secret place of the Most High, that's God, shall rest under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, we're about to go through... I mean, it's going to be like a roller coaster of promises that we're going to go through that are available for the woman or the man who will do this. But we need to understand a couple things up first. Here's the first thing. Number one, the challenge is not finding God's secret place. He's there waiting on you. The challenge is finding Mark's secret place. And the second thing, and this is really key. Did you see the verb there? In this translation, the verb is dwell. And, and, and in essence, what it means is the person who consistently resides in the secret place. So constant, in, in, in real terms, what we're talking about is a person who consistently has this kind of secret relationship with God. And the reason I stress that is because most of us tend to visit the secret place when we get in trouble. But then when we get out of trouble, we don't, we don't go back to the secret place. So consequently, we don't dwell there, we just visit there. I thought about this, I, you know, there are other places where I wake up other than my house. I speak a lot around the country, so I'm accustomed to being in a city and waking up in a hotel room 
there have been, been a few times where I was stringing together speaking engagements and I'd be in one city one day, another city another day, even a third city the third day. And by the time I wake up the third day, I don't know where I am. And then every once in a while, Mary Allison, I'll get a BRBO and we'll stay someplace for a couple of weeks. I get a little bit more familiar with a place like that. But I don't live there. And that's what the Bible is talking about. This is not a promise for everybody. This is a promise for the person who will consistently have a secret life relationship with God. It's not just throwing up a prayer to a stranger, but rather it is this daily going to a place by yourself and closing the door. I think there are very few Christians who have this experience. You know, so many Christians, it's like they hear the message of the gospel. It's like, well, if I pray and I ask Jesus to save me, he will forgive me and I'll be saved and I'll have security and and I'll go to heaven. And then they just sort of like go off and live their lives. Well, is it true that they have security? Yes. Yes. But they never, they never ever functioned the way a daughter of God was supposed to function. I had this thought. I was driving on the campus the other day, and I was, they're building a bank next door. <laughs> and I saw, you know, they had the, they're still doing some site work. They had the concrete slab out there. And I noticed that the first thing they put in, and you can see it. And by the way, check this out when you leave. If you're on campus, and a lot of you are watching online or on television. But if you're on campus today, when you drive out, if you go out the south end, just look, at, look over there to the east. There's a slab. They're, put, they're putting a bank in. And notice the first thing they have is the vault. Now, you know what? We understand that. I mean, but see, I think that's where so many Christians are. They have a foundation. They've accepted Christ. They have a vault. If they die, they go to heaven. But they never get to the place where there's any functionality. I mean, if you drive by that slab and vault today, we, we understand that. I mean, that's where they are in their, in their building process. But if six months or a year from now we drive past that and it's still a slab and a vault, we're like, what's up with that? Which is why the world looks at a lot of us Christians and all we have is a slab and security, and they look at us and say, what's up with that? Okay, let's see what this secret life is about. Let's roll. And again, please be patient with me because there are times when I need to stop and look at a single word. We're about to do that right now. Because what we just read a few moments ago is he or she who lives consistently in the secret place of the Most High will rest under the, here's our first word, shadow, shadow of the Almighty. Shadow's not an accidental word. You can't have a shadow without a presence. If there's any shadow in your sphere, there's something material that has to be there in order to cast a shadow. So consequently, you can't be in a shadow if there's not a presence. I think that's a pretty strong thought. Because consequently, if I go to the secret place with God and I'm in his shadow, then God's got to be there or else his shadow couldn't be there. So when I think about shadow, I think, okay, he's got to be there for, else his, for his presence to be there. But here's, here's, this is even bigger than this. I want to talk to guys especially because I think guys have a bigger problem with this than ladies do. Because ladies a lot of times have an ability to be a little bit stronger in the spiritual area. Guys, isn't it true that one of the real problems with prayer is that there's not a person there that you can see 
And a person who doesn't answer you is like, well, this is kind of an unnatural exercise. I think that's the reason why the word shadow here is used. Because here's the thing. You cannot see God. I have never seen God. But I can tell you this. I have seen the evidence of him in my life. I've never sat down and actually seen the face of God. But I have lived my life in his shadow as he has answered prayers for me that I know he had to answer. I mean, there have been times when he answered prayers even before I asked. And then I was in so much trouble, and I watched God come along and make it all work out. So no, I've never seen his face, but I've sure seen his shadow. I really think the psalmist had something that happened with Moses in mind here. Moses was the leader that God had chosen to lead Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses was an ordinary guy, like you gals and guys were all ordinary. And a lot of times God asks us to do something real big. And Moses had already gone through some difficult times. And uh, so there was a time, this is in the book of Exodus, where uh, Moses says something to God that I think you'll find interesting. Uh, Moses said, God, you have said, and you sang this a few minutes ago. Moses said, God, you said that you know my name and that you know me. And Moses has said, God, you promised that your favor would rest on me. But Moses said, God, I'm missing something. Oh, I love this. I read this before I came out this morning. I just said, Lord, this is what I want in my life. Moses said, God, it's not quite enough that you know my name and that you've promised me your favor. Moses said, God, I need to see you because I want to know you better. And he said, I want, I want to make sure that I understand what you're all about so that I don't lose your favor. And God was real nice to him and said some kind things. And then Moses said, God, I want to see you. Okay? God said, now we're working on shadow, remember that. God said to Moses, nobody can see my face and live. But he said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. He, 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 Moses was standing by this cliff, this rock cliff. And God said to Moses, I'm going to like put you in a little cave here, a little opening in the cliff, and I'm going to pass in front of you, and I'm going to put my hand over where you are because you can't see me. And then when my trail, when my shadow, when the, when the afterburner is there, I'm going to take my hand off, and you will be able to be in the presence of what I believe the psalmist is talking about, the shadow. Now, I'm about to get really, really, this is, okay, especially... Husbands, wives, parents, this is great for everybody, but oh my goodness, this is really important. I think it's important for all of us. When you know what is right and what is true, as most of us do, oftentimes it is our nature to want to change people to get them to do right. And a wife will say to herself, I've got to fix my husband. Or a husband will say, my wife has got these issues. I need to fix her. Parents will say, I need to fix my kids. And some of y'all are kids and you can say, I need to fix my parents. <laughs> I've done that. It's human nature. <laughs> I don't want to quote Dr. Field, but how's that working for you? 
For all you guys out there that just told your wife if she would do X, Y, and Z, everything, she'd, be, she'd be great. Boy, if you want your Bichon Freeze to turn into a Rottweiler real fast, you just try that. <laughs> On your husband or wife or kids or parents. Now listen to me. The problem is we weren't told to fix people. If we're ever going to have any impact, it's got to be through influence. This shadow... Let me tell you, when, when you go to your secret place and you shut the door and you begin to rest under the shadow, it changes you. And, and, and it's that change that takes place in you that really does begin to impact your husband and, and impact your wife. I've been praying about this message for days and I've been, I, I said, Lord, I, I know what's probably going to happen. I, I, I was born at night, but not last night. I know how we are in church. I mean, for some of us, we'll hear this and like, well, it's kind of an okay message and we'll go to lunch and forget it. But I said, oh God, I just pray that there might be a wife or a husband that would like own this and decide this is how they're going to live. I pray that there's a single mom or a single dad who will just own this and say, this is what I'm going to do from now on. Because you see, when you're in the shadow, it changes you. And all of a sudden, you don't have to fix people because there's something that takes place in your life that begins to change people because they're in your presence. Look at this. Exodus 34, verse 29, the Bible says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he was not aware that his face was radiant. Why? Because he had spoken to the Lord. See, that's why I said I want husbands and wives to get this because I just have been praying. I said, Lord, just please, just one couple, just one husband and wife who, who own this. And, the, and before they start talking to each other about things that need to happen, just let them go to the secret place and, and spend time with you and then let them get together where the radiance is there. And when they come out there, and, and, and the, thing, the thing about this, you won't know it. All you'll know is you spent time with God, but then people will start noticing that you're not the same man that you used to be. You're not the same woman that you used to be. Just like Moses came down from the mountain and he didn't know that his face shone because he had been with God, everybody around Moses knew that something was different in him. He or she that lives in the secret place will rest under the shadow. Now look at this next word. Of the Almighty. There are all kinds of names for God in the Bible, but I love this Almighty. Because see, when you rest under the shadow, you're resting under the shadow of the one who is almighty, who can do anything. On my way to campus yesterday, I stopped and visited a friend, a great man, a God-loving man, a man who's had enormous impact on our city for years. And they've told him that he has weeks to live. And he and I sat down and I read Psalm 91 to him. And I called him by name and I said, I know what the doctors have said, but the Almighty hasn't weighed in yet. Okay, we need to travel on. That's verse one. Verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Now, how many times do we read words like that and we think, oh, those are synonyms? Not really. Refuge, that's a place to hide. Fortress, that's like a walled, gated situation. So you, you, you see the distinction in those terms? Now, let me tell you how it works personally in your life. There is stuff in your life that will make you run to the secret place because it's your hiding place. It's your refuge. I mean, things that happen in your life and you'll just say, I got to go to the secret place. I got to go talk to God about this because something's chasing you. You got a problem. It's just, and it chases you all the way into the secret place. But then when you get there, the 
the hiding place turns into a fortress because see, whatever's chasing you can't get in. I mean, the stuff that's worrying you, when you get into the secret place with the Almighty, whatever the devil's throwing at you, the devil can't get in because the hiding place turns into a fortress. There's so much here. In fact, I hope you'll go home and own this whole 91st Psalm. But we're going to start, the psalmist is going to start writing about all kinds of things that can go wrong in our lives. But it's like he categorizes them in verse 5 into two categories. Let's read this. Do not be afraid of the arrows, excuse me, the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the daytime. Hmm, terrors and arrows. It's pretty easy. The arrows that fly in the daytime, that's just the problems that we encounter. You know, this happens, somebody says this, somebody does something to us, this injustice, this problem. I mean, how many of us, we, when we get up in the morning, we think we have our day planned, but by 10 o'clock, it's going a whole different direction. The arrows, problems. That's the daytime. There may not be anyone here but me, but I bet there is. Anyone else deal with anxiety? That doesn't come in the daytime, does it? You're, you're too busy dealing with the arrows. At three o'clock when you wake up in the middle of the night and the night terrors come and the emotions are going haywire. That's what this verse is talking about. When you spend time in the secret place, you don't have to worry about the arrows that fly in the daytime because he is your shield and protector. But at night, you don't have to go crazy dealing with the anxieties because you've had time in the secret place with the most high and you are resting under the shadow of the almighty. I just want to stress one more time. These are not promises for every Christian. These promises don't come just because you're saved. These promises come to the woman or to the man who will understand this and say, you know what? I'm going to spend time with God every day alone with him where I close everything else out. Wouldn't it be a shame if this was available to us all the time and we never gave it a chance? Well, let's travel on. Let's look at another promise. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels. Notice that we're talking about S today. Notice that angels is plural. His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. I read this to my friend yesterday. And and I said to him, well, if the doctors turn out to be right, the angels just come over and help you move. Ah, the devil hates this verse. You know, I love stuff the devil hates. I don't know if the devil sleeps, but this keeps him awake at night. I know that because he, he used this with Jesus. You know, he, he, in the temptation of Jesus, he quoted this verse. I think it just bothers him that God brings the angels in to take care of us. I know that because in the book of Job, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, but you won't let, him, you won't let me get at him. You put a fence around him and your angels guard him. I like stuff that bothers the devil. And I really think verse 13 is about Satan too because it says you will trample on lions and cobras. Well, who in the Bible is presented as a lion? First Peter. Your adversary as a roaring lion seeks who he can devour. And then in Genesis and Revelation, he's called a snake. And I think what the Bible is saying, if you spend time in the shadow of the Almighty, then you'll be able to walk on the attacks. That, you, you, you'll be able to tread on those attacks of the devil. 
Well, I got to get to the end of this. We got this fireworks season. Some of you may have already been to fireworks shows, and we will go in the next week or so. You know how it is when you go to a fireworks show? There's this firework and that firework, and then there's the grand finale when they just like. So that's what happens in this chapter because it's like when you get to verse 14, in the end of the chapter, it's like all the fireworks go off. And I'll tell you what causes that. Up to verse 14, almost all this is in the third person. This is the psalmist writing about what happens to the woman or the man who will go to the secret place with God consistently. And in verse 14, it's like God just says, okay, David or whoever, just move over here because now I want to talk to her. And we'll talk personally to her about this. And we'll talk personally to him about this because beginning in verse 14, it's all first person with God talking. And this grand finale of this fireworks show is God giving you eight promises that all begin with I will. In other words, God is like, this is a personal commitment from me. I will. I find it interesting that there are eight of these because eight is the number of new beginnings in the Bible. You musicians know that eight is an octave. You start on C, eight notes later you're on another C. It's the same thing with a week. You know, we're seven days in a week. The eighth day is new beginning. I really believe this is God's way of saying new spring. This is a way to have a new beginning in your Christian life. So God, now let's read it and then we'll go go through it slowly. I know I'm out of time. God says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him in honor. I will honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. To him, they're just a neutral pronoun. Let's slow down and go back through those. Because she loves me, I will rescue her. Who needs a rescue today? Because he loves me, I will rescue him. Because she acknowledges my name, I will protect her. Because he acknowledges my name, I will protect him. Oh, I love this one. She will call upon me, I will answer her. He will call upon me, and it won't be dead air or dead space. I will answer him. And I love this one. This is my favorite. I will be with her in trouble. I will be with him in trouble. See, we're going to get into some trouble. But God says, when you get into trouble, I'll be there with you. Daniel, they said if you pray, they're going to take you to the lion's den. It's okay. When you get there, I will be with you in trouble. Esther, you, they say you can't go and talk to the king without being invited, but you've got a big deal to deal with. And so when you go in there to talk to Ahasuerus, I will be with you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said if you bow, the cancel culture is going to get you, and they're going to throw you in a fire furnace. And God said, it's okay. I will be with you. You and I are going to get into some trouble. Boy, it sure is good to have him. Because you've been in the secret place with him. See, you're not a stranger with him. You've been in the secret place. You've been resting under the shadow of the Almighty. And so when you get in trouble, you and him know each other real well. God said, okay, I'm going to be there with you. you, This is in the life of Joseph. By the way, we're going to do a series on Joseph in the month of September called Going Pro Coached Up. And what I love about Joseph, he's getting in trouble all the time. But notice how when he gets sold as a slave in Egypt by his brothers, it said, but the Lord was with him. And then there was when the woman lied and said he tried to rape her and he wound up in jail and he didn't do it. But the Bible says, but God was with him. But that's not all. Next promise, I will deliver her. 
I will deliver him. May get in trouble, but I will deliver him. I will honor him. I will honor her. I will satisfy him. I will satisfy her with longing. I will show him my salvation. I will demonstrate that I am her savior. Eight promises. God's, these are personal commitments. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. You can take it to the bank. <laughs> I know how it works. Most of us are going to say, I just don't have time for this. I don't have time to spend time with God. We won't say it out loud, but that's how we think. You might want to think through these eight promises before you say you don't have time. Who's here today? Who will say the words of Psalm 27, 8? My heart has heard you say, come and talk to me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. God said eight times, I will. I wonder who has an I will for him today. I could be talking to somebody today and you say, Mark, I don't know about talking to God because of things in my past and I just, there's too much dark stuff in my life. I don't know if God would want to talk to me. First of all, let me congratulate you for not getting caught into the narcissism, sociopath feeling of our age. I don't have any problems. So first of all, let me be, let me congratulate you for your honesty. But let me ask you a question. What if God had a way to make all of your past disappear? So much so that everything was forgiven. And when you, when you, when you, stood, when you went, went in to talk to God tonight or tomorrow morning, you were a completely innocent woman. And it's all, your, all your sins were washed away. Suppose, sir, that when you go in to talk to God, that all those dark things that make you ashamed about your past, God made you completely innocent. Did you know? That's, that's, what, this, that's what the Bible is about. It's God's plan. And here's how he did it. He loved you so much that he sent his son. His, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He, he helped create the world, but he, he became human. And he, you know, when he died on the cross, you ever think about this? The, the, the way he died, he died with his arms outstretched. Because he was God, he could reach out and touch God, which we can't. But because he was human, he reached out and touched us. And he brought us together. And his blood paid for all our sins so much so that they were forever erased and when you go in to talk to God you're completely pure and innocent in his sight now I want to make sure I give you a way to make sure that you have this because I want you to start getting into the secret life thing today I want you to know how you can be right with God the Bible tells us that whoever believes that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose from the grave. And if you will accept him as your king and invite him into your heart and life, and you can do this with prayer, it's a gift. It is a gift. Jesus paid for it on the cross. So you say, Mark, I want to have this. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. These aren't magic words, but if you'll pray this from your heart, the God of creation who's waiting for you already in the secret place, he will hear your prayer. And you will know that from now on the rest of your life, because Jesus paid for your sins, that you're innocent in his sight. You'll never be ashamed to talk to God again. You ready? Here we go. Pray with me if you want to. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. And I can't save myself. I can't undo the wrong. And I can't be perfect. But I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And as best I know how, I give you my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to help you take your first steps. If you just pray with me, I have a gift for you. In this gift box, I've got a Bible, like New Spring Bible, like I preach from. And then I wrote a little book that answers a lot of questions that you may still have. And there's some other cool stuff. It's free. It won't cost you anything. So if you're here on campus, you can get it and take it with you today. Here's how to get it. Just take your phone out right now and text the word PRAY, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. And then when you get back to any info center, they'll be waiting for you. They'll have this. They won't hassle you, stalk you. They won't even engage you in conversation unless you wish to. They just want to give you this, okay? So, and if you're watching online, all you have to do is text PRAY to 97,000. There'll be instructions when we get to you. Okay, one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. There's something Mary Alice and I do that we rarely ever talk about, and some of you know about it. It's called Noah's Window. We started it during COVID, and five days a week, Mary Alice and I, we have a devotional. We just share something that God is doing in our lives. And, and, and it's, we now have like over 300 episodes of Noah's window. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you haven't like got into Noah's window yet, you can do that. You can go to newspring.org slash Noah's window, or you can search for it on YouTube or Spotify. The reason why I do that tomorrow and Tuesday, I'm going to tape two episodes in which I talk about practical suggestions for this secret life. So if you've never gotten into Noah's window, I wanna encourage you to do that because they'll, they'll, be, they'll be there in the morning. You'll get Monday's version early. It'll, be, it'll launch early in the morning and then Tuesdays. I wanna give you two days of powerful suggestions on, on practical things you can do for your secret life. Thank you for being here. God bless. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.